Practical Christian Living Seminar. But Corey went, and, and Tommy, and, and when they started this, the idea is to give us a, uh, a seminar focused on the Christian life. And, uh, and uh, I used what was in the guide from last time to enable us to find delight in the all-satisfying God amidst the many distractions we face every day. And I think no matter the topic of our seminar, that is true. And this year we'll address the practical topic of prayer. And today we're going to have three general sessions, and then we're going to have two breakout sessions. And each of those breakout sessions has three different choices that you can make. And uh, then we're going to end with a Q&A. On the Q&A, if you want to ask a question, you can email me at athomas at providence-bc.com, and I will ask them the hardest questions you can think of. And we're going to be asking Tommy and Corey questions on the topics of, of prayer. But seriously, if you have questions that are pressing as you go out through your day, um, and we're in the breakouts and in the sessions, and you want to ask some clarifying comments or, or things that would might be helpful and practical, please email me so that uh, we can ask them. I can't guarantee it'll make it, but uh, we will we'll do our best. Um, if you look at the bottom of the first page, there is a little section on child care. Um, I don't see too many children in here, but uh, because uh, they're probably already up there. But if you are utilizing this child care, just please, we ask that we you would uh, refrain from uh, checking on the kids constantly. It, it, it uh, sometimes makes it a little bit difficult for the workers to, to rally the kids. And then if, uh, and once lunch happens, if you would promptly pick up your kids to uh, free the the workers up so that they might be able to eat as well. Um, if you look on page two, we have a schedule. The first opening session that we will have is the purpose of prayer in the life of Christ, uh, life of the Christian, and Corey will shortly come up uh, for that. And then we have breakout sessions. Uh, Corey is going to have the Puritans on prayer right here in the fellowship hall. Uh, prayer as a means of grace. Andy will be in the sanctuary, and then prayer in secret and silence and solitude. Dennis will be in the hallway classroom. And we'll have another general session in here, and then after lunch, we will have another breakout session, and you can see the designations of where each of those classes are. For lunch, if you've ordered a Chick-fil-A sandwich, hopefully you've picked up your ticket. They should be here hot and ready right before we break for lunch. In the back, close to, if you look over there where Andy is sitting, by the wall that has a map, there's a glass jar with yellow tickets. If you would like to win in a raffle one of those books, put your name with a Sharpie on one of the tickets, not 10 of tickets, on one ticket, and put it in the glass jar. And we will call names, and you can win some of those books if you'd like to. So do that during the breaks. Now, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll read this short passage, pray, and then Rick will come lead us in our opening song before Corey comes. We'll read from verse 14 through the end of the chapter. 
Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what of the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Christ and by your Spirit. And Father, we pray for this seminar on prayer. We pray, Father, that you would dwell in our hearts through faith, that you would fill us with all of your fullness, that we be strengthened by your power in our inner being as we consider prayer. And as we pray, Father, I pray that we would be helped, that we would learn to pray, that we would thirst for prayer, and that we would be changed by prayer, and that we might commune with you. So, Father, I pray also for Corey as he comes up and delivers the opening session. So, Father, for your glory and our joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, prayer. That is our topic for today. And as I thought about this seminar, as I thought about the topic of prayer, it occurred too much with prayer, like saying, I pray too much or too often. Maybe you have. Maybe you know someone that way, but it's always the opposite, right? I should pray more. My prayer life is in a season of drought right now, or I don't pray enough. I'd say that's a common struggle for many of us. But as I thought about it, what concerns me, and many of the men I was reading, what concerns them is our indifference to the danger of prayerlessness. When we don't pray, do you know what you're saying? You're saying you're self-sufficient. Prayerlessness is the epitome of pride. You're essentially telling God, I'm good. I don't need you. Well, yeah, there's certain things I need you for, but for the most part, I can make it through my day just fine. J.C. Ryle, writing during the 19th century, says this, I think there are thousands who never say a word of prayer at all, even among those who call themselves Christians. We eat, we drink, we sleep, we get up in the morning, we go to work, we go home, we take exercise, we breathe God's air, we enjoy God's sun, we walk on God's earth, we experience God's mercies, we have bodies that are dying, and we have judgment and eternity before us. But some of us never speak to God. He says we behave like animals, animals that just live and then die. We live like creatures without souls. We do not have a word for the God whose hand holds our life, breath, and everything else. 
That comes from the book that you would have gotten when you checked in, the book by J.C. Ryle, Do You Pray? I think those words are pretty striking to us today. So as we consider the topic of prayer, you may not see this as one of the most pressing issues of our day, but I'm here to challenge you that prayer is vital to the Christian life. Prayer is vital to our lives, to the life of the Christian, no matter what is taking place around us, no matter what we might find in this age. And prayer is one of the most practical aspects of the Christian life. And it's one of the few things that you can do anytime, place. You don't have to set an appointment with God to pray to Him. You don't because God always hears. God is everywhere. You don't have to go to a special place to pray to Him. God is everywhere. So think about prayer. Think about what that is, what it is, what we have, this privilege that we have. But unfortunately, we too often neglect prayer. We get busy. We get self-sufficient. I was listening to Burke Parsons um, answer a question yesterday on Ask Ligonier. What happens? What if I don't feel like praying? And he said, so often we think practically, we think productivity. I'm sorry, we think in terms of productivity. And we think prayer is not productive. We want to just get started. We have a busy day. So what do we do? We start going. We start doing. And we oftentimes minimize the importance of prayer. And I would say when we do that, we actually have things very backwards. So my plan for this opening session is to simply define prayer, what it is, and then give you seven reasons why prayer is absolutely essential to the life of the Christian. So that's the plan. We'll begin by defining prayer. So prayer is one of those words that is so common that in some ways it's lost its meaning in our cultural context. For instance, I frequently hear people asking for prayer, good vibes, or positive thoughts, as if good vibes and positive thoughts are synonyms for prayer. Um, Sadly, that's the state of our secular culture, which, as you know, is exceedingly man-centered. And in times of despair, it's as if our collective thoughts, our collective positive thoughts, can bring about the change we're hoping for. But we must reject that sort of thinking. We must reject this man-centered approach to life because this is an affront to God who created us for himself. So as we think about prayer and we think about our definition of prayer, we must first recognize that our culture shapes and influences us. For that reason, we must go to a source that transcends our cultural moment, a source that provides absolute truth, and that is God who has spoken to us in his infallible word. Therefore, we look to the scriptures to help us understand prayer. And as we look to the scriptures this morning, I hope that your understanding of prayer is enlarged. I know that many of you know what prayer is. So this is really just review reminders for us. But I also hope you see prayer as more than just asking God to do something for you. I hope that you see prayer as communion with God. Let's turn to Luke chapter 5. We'll be going several places. We'll be flipping quite a bit, but we'll go through Luke, then we'll go to John, and then we'll go to 1 John. So Luke 5, and go to verse 15. And we're just looking at certain elements here. I'm not going through the text. I want you to see, just uh, make observations about what is taking place. So Luke 5. So Luke 5, verse 15. But now even more, 
the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So what's just happened here is Jesus has just healed a leper. He's just cleansed a leper. Word is now spreading among the people. Many are gathering to hear him. They're coming to be healed by him. But I want you just to notice simply what we see in verse 16. But Jesus would withdraw the desolate places and pray. You've read the Gospels. You know that you often see Jesus praying. And he often will will go to a quiet place and pray. Now, turn over to chapter 6. Verse 12. And these days, he, being Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. So once again, we see Jesus withdrawing, going to a desolate place to pray. Um, I realize different seasons of life do not allow for us to really withdraw. But we we see Jesus, though, in the midst of so much busyness, so many people coming, gathering, trying to hear him, wanting to be healed by him, and he withdraws to pray. But what I really want you to see here is who he is praying to. In these days, he went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So notice the object of his prayer. Yes, Jesus is God. He is the Son of God, but in the Incarnation, Jesus assumed human flesh, and we see Him praying to God. Much more can be said here, but the main takeaway I want you to see is the Son of God, Jesus, the God-man, praying to God. So that's where we will begin with our definition of prayer. Proper prayer is aimed toward God. We don't pray to one another. We don't accumulate positive vibes for a good outcome. Prayer is properly made to God. When we pray, we are praying to the very God who created the heavens and the earth. I mean, how often do you consider that when you pray? That you are praying to God Almighty, who holds the universe in His we have proper understanding of God, we'll talk about that in the next session briefly. If we have proper understanding of God, just imagine our prayer lives. If we know who God is, imagine our prayer as we go to this God who is the Almighty God. That's why if we pray, I mean here corporately, we pray beginning with praise, adoration, who God is, acknowledging who He is, for it is to Him we pray. So that's the first point as we're defining prayer. Prayer is properly made to the one God who created the heavens and the earth. But what is it? What is prayer? We know who we're praying to, but what exactly are we doing here? So go to chapter 11 of Luke. So here we have Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. They ask him, teach us how to pray. And here he is teaching them. And notice how he begins in verse 2. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. 
So I really want us to zero in on the word Father. The disciples ask Jesus how to pray, and he begins this simple prayer with Father. If we were in Matthew 6, we would see the words, Our Father. My intent here is to point out the relational nature of prayer. As Jesus, he teaches his disciples to pray to God as our Father. Benjamin Keach, 17th century uh, Baptist pastor, he points out that from the word Father in the Lord's Prayer, we learn to draw near to God with holy reverence as children to a Father able and ready to help us. On the other hand, Keach notes that the ungodly, the sinner, cannot go to God as a father because they are not his children. As Keach recognizes from Scripture, the non-believer does not have the same access to God. The non-believer cannot pray to God as father. You know, we've heard the question asked, you've heard the answer, who are God's children? Some people say everybody. That is not the way the Bible defines God's children. Who are God's children? Those who believe in Him. Those are the ones, the believers, us, the faithful, that can go to God as our Father. John 9.31, God does not listen to sinners. Proverbs 15.29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. So for those of you who are found righteous in Christ, who have come to Him by faith alone, You have God's ear as a child has the ear of his father or her father. I mean, think about that for a moment. As believers, we go to God as our father. We go to God, our father, we go to him as our father because in Jesus Christ, we are now sons of God. We are now children of God. We're united to him. And it's through him, through Christ, that we go to God as Father. And it's that relationship, this relational nature of prayer that I want to zero in on here. Like children, we go to God as our Father. And prayer is part of this relationship we have with God as His children. He speaks to us in His Word and we pray to Him. We commune with Him. As David Mathis points out, prayer is having God's ear. As His children, we have His ear. And while there are plenty of examples of bad earthly fathers, we all get the picture here. We get the picture of the child going to his father, having his father's ear. And while this father-child relationship helps us understand the intimacy of our relationship with God, our relationship with God is infinitely greater than any relationship that exists between a parent and their children. And because this relationship with God, the Father, is infinitely greater than any earthly relationship, we see Jesus frequently withdrawing to desolate places to commune with God, His Father. And we get a taste of that in John 17. Go ahead and turn over there. And we'll we'll start drawing all this together here in a sec. So John 17. So we have Jesus, Son of God, full of the Spirit. He's praying for His disciples. He desires for His disciples to experience the communion that He and the Father experience. And so in John 17, verse 20, He he prays thus, I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's not just praying for his apostles, for his disciples. He's praying for all who will believe in me through the teaching, through the word of the apostles. And then he says in verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So notice this phrase here in in this verse, that they may be in us. They also may be in us. Jesus is speaking to the oneness of the church in light of the oneness of God. And he prays that the church, the disciples, might be united to the triune God. So in these verses, we learn that there's communion within the Godhead. And this is why Jesus prayed regularly to the Father. Full of the Spirit, Jesus prayed to the Father. He prayed because of the communion that exists between Him and the Father. And by communion, I mean intimate oneness. There's a oneness that is more than positional that is more than a forensic term. This oneness is shared. The Greek word that expresses this oneness is the Greek word koinonia. In 1 Corinthians 10, we see this translated as participation, denoting intimate fellowship. And while koinonia is not mentioned here in John 17, the idea is present. However, this very same notion that we have here is mentioned in 1 John 1. So let's go ahead and turn over there. And we'll see this there. Koinonia is used to describe this communion in 1 John 1. So in John 17, which we briefly looked at, Jesus prayed for his disciples to share in the oneness that is in God. To share in the communion that exists in the Godhead. And here in 1 John verse 3, we see the same truth laid out for us. So what we have here, I'm going to just briefly give you an idea. The first four verses are an introduction to this letter. The first two verses begin with this eyewitness testimony, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we've looked on with our hands, or we've touched, or we've looked upon and touched with our hands. So we've seen the one who was made manifest. So John 1 sounds very similar to this. The word was with God, and so the Word was God, and then we see that the Word becomes flesh. Well, here in verse 2, the life was made manifest. We've seen it. So we have John, who is an eyewitness. And so he's saying here, we've seen these things, we've touched Him, we've heard Him, we've seen it for ourselves. And then in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus was praying for in John 17. This fellowship, this koinonia, which is translated here as fellowship. This communion, this participation, this intimate fellowship that already exists within the Godhead. This is the communion that Jesus prayed for us to have with God. And as Spirit-filled believers, we have communion with God. And we experience this communion through several means. For instance, we experience this communion with God through reading and hearing His Word. God speaks to us through His Word, both as we read it, as we hear it read, and we hear it preached. 
We also commune with God through worship as we respond both to who He is and to what He has done. Furthermore, we commune with God through the Lord's Supper, through our participation in it. And we commune with God through prayer. So as we think about prayer in light of John 17 and in light of 1 John 1, we learn that God is the goal of our prayer. It is communion with Him that is the goal. David Mathis writes in his book, Habits of Grace, it shouldn't surprise us then to find that prayer is not finally about getting things from God, but getting God. Yes, we have God's ear to praise Him, to thank Him, to ask Him to give us all that we need for a life of faith and practice. But as we think about prayer, it's our relationship with Him that is fed by our prayers. Michael Reeves, in his book, Enjoying Your Prayer Life, he notes, we have communion with God at all times. However, having said that, relationships only grow when you give each other quality time. So what is prayer? Prayer is a means of communion with God. It is simply delighting in Him by talking to God, as we have God's ear like a child has the ear of His Father. Proper prayer is made to God, and it is communion with God, delighting in Him, talking with Him. But it's not to be taken flippantly. But it doesn't mean we go to God and we hide who we are. God knows you to your inner being. And if you say, how do I pray? Well, this isn't the session we're going to answer that, but I would encourage you to look at the prayers we see in Scripture. Pray God's Word. Pray according to His Word. But if you don't know how to pray, pray. That's that's, that's the solution as I was reading the Puritans. What's the solution? I don't know how to pray. Well, pray. Pray to the Lord. And as you pray, look in His Word. Meditate upon His Word and see the prayers of the saints. Pray God's Word back to Him. And as Burke Parsons, I was listening to him yesterday, he said, pray to God to help you pray. Think about that. Oftentimes we struggle with prayer. You know you can pray to God to help you pray. Go to God Almighty. He is the Almighty God who made the heavens and the earth, but He is our Father. Go to Him as a child. We go to a Father. So prayer is communion with God. Delighting in Him and talking with Him as a child has His ear. So now we'll look at seven reasons why prayer is vital for the spiritual health of God's people. First reason, prayer expresses our dependence upon God. One of my favorite hymns we just sung, I Need Thee Every Hour. It's a prayer that we sing. And this prayer expresses this very truth. I need God. Every hour. Because we are always dependent upon God. As Paul quoted, it is in Him that we live and move and have our being. You see, we need God. Not just some of the time, but all the time. And prayer expresses our dependency upon God. When we pray things like, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts. We acknowledge that we are not sufficient for these things. 
The food we need, the, the, the sustenance we need that food gives us is a gift from God. And whether we realize it or not, we're dependent upon God every day for food. The forgiveness we need to be reconciled to God comes from Him and from Him alone. We're not sufficient to save ourselves or to be reconciled to God. We're dependent upon God to deliver us from the guilt we've inherited from Adam. And one of the great aspects of prayer is that it directs our gaze toward God. The focus moves from us to God. Why? Because we are utterly dependent upon Him. So prayer is vital for the spiritual health of God's people because we are, vi- we are utterly, absolutely dependent upon God. We need God, and prayer is an expression of our dependence upon Him. Here's another reason prayer is vital for the spiritual health of God's people. When you do not pray, you're walking in disobedience to God. Prayer is commanded of the Christian. Therefore, to be prayerless is to be disobedient to God. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Simple verse, short verse. What I want you to see here is the command. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, do this if you want to. Do this if you feel like it. No, it is a command that we've been given as Christians. And the command here is to pray without ceasing. I'm not here to define what it means to pray without ceasing right now, but I, I want you to see the word prayer is an imperative command to pray. As Christians, we've been commanded by God to pray. As Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus? then you will pray. To not pray would be to walk in disobedience. As as Joel Beakey describes prayer, he says prayer is the bowing of the soul in willing submission to God. I like that because when we pray, we're bowing in submission to God. We're saying, not my will, but yours be done. When we pray in such a way as Jesus teaches, we're walking in obedience to God. And we're expressing our willing obedience to God. So if we don't pray, we're being disobedient. But as we pray, we are are expressing our submission to Him. I mean, you think about the posture of prayer. We can pray standing up, sitting down. But when you think about prayer, typically you think about bowing down. I mean, whether literally or figuratively, we do that because we are bowing in submission to our Lord. And that is what the very act of prayer is. Whether you get down on your knees or stand up or you're driving in the car with your eyes open. I hope you don't pray with your eyes closed if you're driving in the car. Um, But as we pray, we are bowing in submission to God. We are obeying God. I mean, God commands us to pray, not so we can have more burdens. He commands us to pray that we might come to Him and delight in Him. To commune with Him. I mean, prayer is more than a matter of obedience and disobedience. As John Bunyan writes, prayer is an ordinance of God in which a man draws very near to God. And that's the third reason prayer is vital to the spiritual health of the Christian. Prayer is a means of drawing near to God. We've already talked about this a little bit, but just to expand upon it, listen to Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence 
to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from, all e- from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So in Christ, we have access to the throne of God. And we're reminded in Hebrews 10 that we can draw near to God with full assurance of faith. Remember, we have access to God's ear. The very God who is on the throne, we can draw near to him through prayer. I mean, you and I could not walk up to a president or a national leader. We wouldn't have access. We'd have to to write, have a reason. We'd have to you know, appeal to whatever reason we need to stand before a king or a, a president or, or a national leader anywhere. But with God, the one who is on the throne, who has the authority to put other authorities in place, the authority, the earthly authorities would have no authority if not from him, not for him. You have access to his throne through Jesus Christ. You can go to Him. You can draw near to Him. Through prayer, we have communion with Him. Remember, we're created by God for God. And prayer is a means of our drawing near to the very God for whom we are created. John Preston, I'll talk about him in the next hour. He says, prayer is required that we may be acquainted with God. For there is a strangeness between the Lord and us when we do not call upon His name. When we come to the Lord and are frequent and fervent in this duty of calling upon Him, we grow acquainted with Him. Without it, and listen to this, he says, without it, without prayer, we grow to be strangers, and the Lord dwells far off. Another reason why prayer is vital for the spiritual health of God's people is simply because prayer is the proper expression of faith. So it goes along with the, the, the one about being absolutely dependent, but, but prayer, as we think about it, is an expression of our faith. It's the only proper expression. If you are prayerless, what does that say about your relationship with God? About your communion with God? If you desire God, then your life will be marked by prayer. Prayer is communion with God. And as we learn from Scripture, the very God for whom we are created invites us to come before Him, to commune with Him. And prayer is one of the primary means through which we commune with Him. So if you do not pray, yet you say you delight in God, do you really? Michael Reeves says, Prayerlessness is practical atheism, demonstrating a lack of faith in God. J.C. Ryle notes, just as the very first sign of life in a new baby is the act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. One of the most common marks of all who trust in God is prayer. John Preston, English Puritan, says, the regenerate man has an aptness to pray. On the other hand, he says, he that omits prayer is altogether a profane person. So what does your prayer life say about your relationship with God? Another reason prayer is vital 
for our spiritual health is because our hearts need prayer. Apart from God, our hearts are ready to go out of order. As one English Puritan notes, our hearts are ready to turn cold. Therefore, he said this about prayer. This duty is needful in that regard to compose our hearts and bring them back again into order. I mean, just think about David's prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I mean, this was a man after God's own heart. And he prayed that God would create a new heart within him. And while we today are beneficiaries of the new covenant, meaning that we've been given a new heart, remnants of the old man remain in us. We're renewed, but we're also being renewed. We've been sanctified, but we're also being sanctified. Therefore, we must constantly pray. We must constantly pray that God will deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. If you believe what Jeremiah says, then you believe your heart is deceitful above all else. You believe that your heart is desperately wicked and no one but God can understand or know your heart. Therefore, on this side of glory, we all need God to do a work in our hearts and to continue doing a work in our hearts. So prayer is vital to the spiritual health of the health of the Christian because our hearts need prayer. Another reason prayer is vital to the spiritual health of the Christian is because we live in a world that is constantly vying for our souls. In Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. He essentially says the very same thing to his disciples on the night when he was betrayed. When he was in the garden praying, he told his disciples, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, one of the best tools that we have at our disposal in this present war that's being waged on our souls, one of the best tools we have is prayer. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. This battle is against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, this battle is not fought with earthly weapons. This battle is fought with the weapons of the Spirit, such as the Word of God and prayer. And while we could keep going, I'll conclude with one last reason why prayer is vital for the spiritual health of God's people. And that is this. Prayer makes us more like Christ. Much more could be said here, but just think about the life of Jesus during His earthly ministry. We looked at a couple of samples, but what do we see Him doing frequently? We see Him praying. Jesus, full of the Spirit, frequently with withdrawal to pray, To God, His Father. So if you desire to be like Christ, pray. For when you pray, you are following in the footsteps of your Master. So before I close, I'll provide just one more word, but I want want to summarize what we've seen. 
First of all, we define prayer as a means of communion with God. In simple terms, it's having God's ear. And this is such a privilege, such a great privilege when we think about it. We have the ear of God Almighty. We have the ear of our Creator. The one who created us for Himself shares Himself with us. We have access to Him through His Word and through prayer. And then we listed these seven reasons why prayer is vital to the spiritual health of God's people. And what we see is that we're absolutely dependent upon God, and prayer is an expression of this dependence. Second, we'd be walking in disobedience if we did not pray. Third, prayer is a means of drawing near to God. Fourth, prayer is the proper expression of our faith in God. Fifth, our hearts need prayer. Sixth, the world is constantly vying for our souls. And seventh, prayer makes us more like Christ. I began this message by talking about prayerlessness. And I hope that this morning you see both the dangers of prayerlessness and the delightfulness of prayer. Don't be discouraged if you're in a dry season of prayer. Press on. Draw near to God through prayer. If you're His child, He will hear you. He will not turn you away if you come to Him. If you're in Christ, He's not going to say, hey, you know what, I'm too busy for you today. You've been, busy. You've been too busy for me, I'm going to be too busy for you. That is not God. You're thinking about God in terms of, it's like He's like us. God is not like us. He will not turn you away. Go to Him. Pray. Run to Him from, for refuge. Remember, it's a great privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Joel Beakey says, to neglect prayer is to neglect one of the greatest privileges we have on earth. So I don't want you to feel guilty about your prayer life. I want you to see the joy that is to be had in God through prayer. I want you to see, I don't want you to be so down on yourself that you become, you just, you, you're in a state of despair. I, I, I can't pray more. I'm not praying. Oh God, I, I just can't pray. And I'm not even calling out to God. I want you to see you're neglecting one of the greatest privileges you have to pray to God Almighty. We often look around, we watch the news and we see just how bad things are around us. Don't despair. Go to God in prayer. Look to Him. There's so much joy to be had in Him through prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to pray. We come to You in Christ's name, and I pray that we might be those who are stirred up to pray. Not merely because we we need things from you. Yes, we do. But because we want you. We delight in you. We desire you as we see you revealed to us in the scriptures. Give us understanding. Help us to endure. And I pray that we would be a people marked by prayer. We would be a people that would not neglect prayer. They would not neglect prayer for productivity or prayer for entertainment, but that we would pray both when we're together and when we're apart. 
I pray that prayer would be a natural, is just as natural for us as it is breathing the air that you've given us. And we do, we thank you for that air you've given us to breathe, but ultimately we thank you that you have drawn near to us. And now we might be able to draw near to you through Christ. We're grateful that you did not leave us to ourselves. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name.